Hello, and welcome to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. And in this episode, we'll be uh, coming right to the brink of the end of the Baroque cycle, um, looking at the, the second section of Book 8 of the series, The System of the World. So in the first part of The System of the World, we're basically setting up Jack's trial and the trial of the picks, um, and Jack's ultimate, you know, his his, his um, the execution of Jack Shafto and the trial of the picks, which may you know, leave give Isaac a lot of trouble. So Isaac is still trying to uh, secure his success in the trial of the picks, uh, doing whatever he can to to coerce people, arrest people, you know, beg people, make deals or whatever to try to get out of his trouble. And what I really like about this section of the book is here's where we really see Daniel, who even as late as the last episode we saw, was still really anxious about his place in this new order. You know, he's being put in the position of, of authority as a regent, and he's really uh, uncomfortable about that. Uh, he's kind of being a Lord Treasurer. So uh, all these things is weighing heavily on him. He loses his friend uh, Roger Comstock, the Marquis of Ravenscar, who died of a stroke. Um, and it's in this section that Daniel really uh, kind of proves his, his mettle in a way. It's, it's some of the best uh, Daniel stuff we get. Uh, he does two things in particular. One is this is kind of on behest of Caroline and, and Jack Shafto. Um, and that is liberating uh, Jimmy and Danny and Tomba from Fleet Prison and, gets, and shoveling them away to America. Uh, and the other thing is, is kind of behind uh, Isaac's back getting rid of all the Solomonic gold and having it shipped to Leibniz in Germany, um, finishing the deal he made in the previous book with uh, Peter the Great about the, you know, the logic mill and all that. And so, if, you know, he's been sort of in control of the Solomonic gold for much of this whole volume, um, but Isaac's been coveting it and desperate for it, um, both for its role in maybe the trial of the picks, but also in, uh, you know, his alchemical research. So Daniel, in a way, you know, finally does sort of what he's wanted to do throughout most of the series, which is uh, lay a blow against alchemy. And he does it by removing uh, the gold from the, from the, from the stage, I guess, from England, um, away from Isaac's and the alchemists in England's hands. And then we also, in this book, so it's mostly about Daniel, but we also get some really wonderful uh, Jack moments because Jack's in the condemned hole. He's in jail. He's in the he's being pressed in Newgate. He's, he's in various places in Newgate, but he stays in Newgate. And we see him reflecting on his life, uh, his lack of religion, his relationship with Eliza, what could have been uh, his relationship with his sons and all of these things. And so we get a lot of internal reflection by Jack Shafto, which creates some really wonderful moments in the in the story i think um now both of these things sort of set up the final act of the book which is the trial of the picks and jack's execution which we'll cover in the next episode that's the that's the end of the book uh, i don't think this episode will be very long um just because um uh, it's not a very long section there's only 160 pages left in the whole book so it's not quite 100 pages and we'll be looking at about 80 uh in this episode i'll look at 80 in the next one the final 80 pages Still, a lot happens, and again, it, it really focuses on. It's kind of Daniel's um, uh, the best, some of the best Daniel moments as a character, where he finally is independent. Maybe it took the death of of Roger for him to uh, fully become independent. He's being pushed by Caroline to to do something uh, for do this favor for Jack, 
kind of that's on behest of Eliza too it seems um, so Eliza is sort of in the backdrop of the story you see her kind of working behind the scenes there's one scene with Eliza here but again as with most of this book she's sort of a, a secondary character but super influential at least for Jack and, and, and Caroline all right, so we begin in Fleet Prison. We have a couple chapters here set in Fleet Prison, and we'll, we can talk about these sort of together. Um, so first they go to uh, Fleet Prison. So who, who's they? It's Daniel and Saturn. Um, so Daniel recruits Saturn to help him with the jailbreak. And so the first thing they do is go to the Fleet Prison. And this is a great chapter just because it describes the prison and the nature of of punishment in those days, how the prison's actually sort of being governed by the prisoners that they kind of have their own government. There's not that many actual turnkeys and wardens and the warden's just a sinecure. The real person who runs the prison is like a prisoner who, like a debtor. Most of these people are debtors. Um, and because they're debtors, it doesn't make much sense to keep them locked up all the time. So they have to sort of go out and uh, get money and have connections with the outside world. They often leave the prison and, and come back in at nights or whatever. Uh, there's all these businesses around the fleet prison, like bars and things, and there's parties. And so it's a really open kind of prison. And, and I really think there might be something interesting here in terms of for, for like prison abolitionists and criminal justice people to, you know, who want to reform the prison system to think about, because this was how prisons were for much of human history. We didn't have prisons as we understand them until really, really recently. They weren't really around in most of the world till less than 100 years ago. Um, of course, you had ways of punishing people and you had courts and criminal justice systems, but they weren't all, like a one size fits all type of punishment of, of confinement and, and imprisonment. Um, and there's this kind of flexibility in the system and a little, you know, the, the more porous borders. And you could, you could say it didn't work. I don't know. But it definitely seems to acknowledge the autonomy of the, this population a little bit more gives them a little bit more humanity than I think our system does. As, as brutal as this is, uh, still, especially if you think about what's gonna happen to Jack, what's being planned for Jack, the, still, I think the, you know, learning about other ways societies throughout time did criminal justice and, and, and acknowledging simply that there are alternatives to our world, our system, that is, is global now. All countries sort of embrace it with some differences. But it's basically the one size fits all for all criminals and all cultures around the world. And I don't know if that makes much sense. You know, we don't have a wall to send people to, I guess. Maybe someday we'll have like colonies again in, in space. We can send people off to Mars or whatever. That might be a good idea. But we get a lot of, of, of the history of Fleet Prison and its background. And it's, it's basically a kind of a self-regulated uh, prison with really porous borders. You know, they're able to just come in and hang out and talk to guards. They talk to prisoners. Basically, Daniel's trying to get a, a feel for how his scheme to get these people out. It's Danny and Jimmy, Jack's sons, and, um, and, uh, and Tomba, his, his worker. So I, 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 I guess Jack and Danny, are they the ancestors of the Shafto? in the Cryptonomicon, or is it the, from the Bob line? I'm not sure. If anyone knows, let me know. I, I guess they're the descendants of Jack Shafto. Before, I may have thought, maybe it's Bob's. But then, I think at the time, I just forgot about Jimmy and Danny when I said that. Um, so, because Jack had kids before he became half-cocked Jack. As we know. Um, anyways, that's neither here nor there. That's not that important. Um, 
But I wrote in my notes here, undeveloped prison system, but that's wrong. This is a well-developed prison system. That's just different from what we, um, what we're used to. Um, and again, it's another window into the lower classes and different uh, part of, of European life at the time. And basically Daniel, through talking to people and talking to like a prisoner, a woman, he like bribes her to get information. He makes up his plan, which is essentially is to throw a party. Um, and, and basically use this to distract the guards and distract everyone while they're going to smuggle out Jimmy and Danny through, through kind of the sewer system, through the privy system. Um, so now during this tour of the prison, uh, Daniel also mentions to Saturn that he knows he invented the, or created the infernal devices for, for, um, you know, for Jack Shafto and that, that gang, um, that Jack didn't have the technique didn't know how to make the technology of it. He knew how to make the phosphorus, but the devices had to be made by someone. And he knows Saturn did it and was hired to do it. And Saturn feels kind of bad about this, but Daniel's like, well, no one really died in these. There's property destruction, but no one really died. And he doesn't really want more you know, blood on his hands about this. The, the death of Jack's kind of going to be brutal enough, I guess. So it's... Um, so he just sort of lets Saturn go. And Saturn even says he joined the club largely because he felt bad about doing this. He didn't really feel good about this. So he's, he's regretting his, his past life in a way. Um, and whatever happens to Saturn, we're, I guess we'll never quite know. But um, if he is a stand-in for um, Neil Stevenson, maybe, maybe he becomes a writer, maybe he becomes a, uh, gets more involved in technology, maybe he does great things too. And the incoming industrial age would be great for someone like a Saturn. Um, so next we have a, in the same chapter, I guess, uh, they see another public proclamation by Dapa um, in his public war against Charles White, or against the Tories and against slavery. And Dapa just says to White, like, I am holding an auction to buy uh, Charles White. And if I buy Charles White, then since White claims to own me, I'll own myself and I'll be free. And so it's, of course, it's a, he's just lampooning slavery as, as usual. But, you know, it's another part of this ongoing uh, public attack on slavery and on specifically Charles White, um, which puts White in an increasingly unfortunate position um, as, the, as, the story, as the story goes on. Uh, and Dop is increasingly becoming richer and richer and more famous and popular. And he's, he's got his, he's got his uh, GoFundMe going on and people are sending him money. So all that. So then the next chapter is kind of a continuation of this where they're in this tap room, which is this, it's actually outside the prison, I guess. Um, uh, they're at this bar and they hold this party. They just start buying barrels for everyone and it becomes really popular among the group. And Daniel says to the crowd that he's actually here because he's finally deciphered some documents that were left behind in his family that show where this where counterfeit gold has been buried in the fleet prison and and he's got the document he's actually holding the hook formula for the resurrection elixir thing the thing that saved um daniel's life um but no one knows this right so it's just uh it, these people can't read or if they could they can't read the philosophical language so, um, so he's able to kind of show this as a cryptic text a ciphered text or whatever a map and after the party goes on, he says, okay, we're going to go find this gold now. And everyone's kind of involved. They have their shovels and it's trying to dig around. And he, he kind of says, oh, we go 10 paces this way, 30 paces this way or whatever. But this is all to distract the crowd. 
and distract the guards while he sneaks out um, Jimmy, Danny, and Tamba from, from the fleet prison. So it's a really fun scene. It's a great Daniel moment where we see Daniel doing something really autonomously uh, with some courage, using his intelligence to, to accomplish a goal. He's no longer under the, the thumb, I guess, of people like Ravenscar. So that's, if you like Daniel, I think this is one of his best, best moments. It's also a really fun scene to see this, uh, this party that they hold in this pub and, and the, the whole thing with the counterfeit gold that's been buried under Newgate and no one's found because they don't have the treasure map. You know, kind of like they're following pirate treasure or whatever. It's all ruse, of course, but it's a lot of fun. And they finally get them out. And before they leave, they go past Newgate and alert Jack. And Jack looks out and is it Saturn shows him the faces of, of all of the people that he rescued and Waterhouse to make it clear that Waterhouse is the one who helped free them. So Jack then gives this very emotional speech to them saying, like, don't remember me. Don't worry about me. I'm not going to make it, but you will get to Carolina. You will, you will escape this. He says this to them. You must all fly like birds, fly and stop for nothing to reach America. And, he, and Jimmy says, you mean we, don't you, Dad? It's, it's we must all fly together. And Jack says, if wanting alone could tear down prisons, all men would be free. No, I'm here. You are there. Tomorrow, I'll still be here, and you better be far away. Shut up. You must go now. Now listen, I've been saying for 30 years that I must provide for my boys. It was all bollocks until this moment. But now I've fi done it finally. This is what you must remember me by. None of the other shite. Go. Go to America. Find wives. Have children. Tell them what grandfather did for their sons. And tell them they're expected to do no less. Goodbye. So... Uh, it's a tear-jerking moment uh, there. It's a really um, kind of nice. And Daniel says, go to America if you can. I think they have to go off to Cornwall or somewhere to find a ship and go to America, and they'll be posing as indentured servants. But if not, if you can't make it, go to France. And Jack's got friends there, and maybe you can hide out in France for a while before finally getting to America. But, um, you know, escape. Do whatever you can to escape. Uh, England and escape this punishment that's waiting for them. Now, then we, I think at the end of this chapter, um, yeah, there's a brief little scene with Daniel and Isaac where Isaac is, is talking about um, his frustration with Jack, who's not pleading. Um, so I guess the way the system works, until you plea, you, the trial can't go forward and you can't be executed, right? So you've got to plead guilty or non-guilty, now it should be a trial. But uh, if you don't plea, it just sort of keeps everything, he just has to be kept in jail. And ja uh, Isaac wants this him to plea before the before the trial of the picks because if Jack pleads he might be able to name White he might be able to name other people who are involved Bolingbrook or whatever and that might give Isaac the cover he needs to survive the trial of the picks so he says I'm going to force basically use the press room to force Jack to plea now the way the press room works is if you don't plea they put you they basically put these pallets of, of lead on your chest until you either die or plea um, and they end up putting like 300 pounds on him. But that's the next chapter. And that's where we go to. So the next chapter is set uh, on the 20th of October. So we jump forward a little bit. Jack's been hesitant to plea, but finally they put him in the press room. Um, and he's under there for a few days. But they put 300 pounds of lead on his chest. And even like big bulky guys didn't survive as long as he did with as much weight. It's a, you know, he's Jack Shafto. He can, you know, he's pretty much impervious. 
Um, but he's being pressed. And this is a really nice chapter describing the, the suffering of, of Jack and many others who endured this um, coercive system in order to uh, um, be forced to plea. And we get, you know, we got a little bit of this in the previous episode, as we saw, but it really comes out in this section as Jack reflecting on his life at various times. And he's got a lot of time to think about his life while he's uh, being pressed. A really beautiful uh, uh, paragraph here, I think. Um, there were many old stories his mind rambled then, and like a translucent ghost, he haunted vivid scenes of Port Royal in Jamaica, the Siege of Vienna, Barbary, Bonanza, Cairo, Malabar, Mexico, and other places, seeing faces he well remembered, loving most of them, hating a few. To some of these people he called out. He called out so loud that the jailers of Newgate heard him and came to the press room to see whether he would given up and was ready to plea. But they found only that he was amazed at his own memories and not conscious of his true surroundings. And he was in a kind of anguish, not because of the weights, but because the memories were fixed and would in no way respond to his outcries. He might as well have been in a chapel calling out to the frescoes in the ceiling, gorgeous but dead and deaf. One time he saw Mr. Foote in a flowery tunic hoisting a colorful drink on Queen Akota Beach as if drinking Jack's health. But this was the nearest anyone came to taking notice of him. So he wants to kind of have ghosts of the friends come but who comes to haunt him but edward de Jex. and edward de Jex, uh tells him essentially that what you want you don't want it's not pride that's hurting you it's it's kind of you need faith pride you're it's not a lack of pride that that you need it's it's you need you need faith and so that's going to be a little subplot here of jack thinking about maybe what could his life been if he had embraced faith at some point in his life but for the reader, I think this section is sad, too, because we've seen Jack uh, in Algiers. We've seen Jack at the party of, of, of the Dakashans. We've seen him in Germany under the Hertz Mountains. We've seen him uh, in India as a king and all these things. And now he is, his life's being reduced to, to this one place and this immense suffering with this kind of inevitable fate. It's, it's, it's sad for the reader, too, I think, because we've spent so much time with, with these characters. Um, and then poor Jack, he has to be haunted by, by Dijek's, not Eliza, not, not, uh, not Yevgeny, not, not even Regisvanian or these people. Um, but his, one of his, his biggest enemy, right? Now he's almost dying. He's almost dead. And Dijek's, as the ghost tells him, you're almost dead. And then he decides to plea and he yells out his, his plea. Um, and the guards, I guess, you know, take the take the weights off him and he can go to his trial he pleads guilty by the way it's not it's not clear here but that's what he does he pleads guilty was pleading not guilty even an option for him i don't know um basically the whole thing isaac wants is him to plead so he'll name names and reveal the truth about the picks so the next scene we get is westminster abbey october 20th so that's uh, the same day that this is taking place they even talk about it a little bit um yeah and it's mentioned here that he has uh that he has been broken um so this happened at the same time but uh the this is the coronation of king george is what's taking place here and this it's it's a moment that neil stevenson could have given us a 30 page description of the scene but he doesn't he gives us just a brief one because i think he's as bored by this kind of um pomp and ceremony stuff as as we would be We've already had the trial of Sophie in this book, or the, the funeral of Sophie in this book, so we don't need another one. 
Um, but the key thing that happens is when Jack pleaded, he named Charles White. So Charles White, uh, who's still kind of in the government, right? He's part of the Tory remnants of the previous government. And he is arrested um, for being part of this. He's been denounced. Um, and he's going to be put off into jail. All right. So things are moving along nicely. Uh, next is the same day. Uh, Jack is immediately taken from the press room uh, to the court of the Old Bailey for his trial and sentencing. Now, this trial has a little bit of gallows humor because once you know you're doomed, there's no point not to talk back to the court and, and insult them, insult the, the traditions and the, the, the law itself. Jack does a little bit of that, but he ple pleads guilty. Um, he says, like, the court doesn't have to find me guilty. I, that's how I pleaded, right? But he is, and then we get a little discussion that reminds us of something from volume one of this series where the word court is kind of dissected. All the different types of courts there are. Uh, tennis courts and courts for kings and courts for law, court of directors of the East England Company, all these different types of courts, all these different meanings of the word court. Um, but anyways, um, he is sentenced to uh, be half hung uh, and then drawn and quartered. Doesn't seem like a pleasant way to go. But that's the fate of coiners because it's, it's kind of seen as a treason. So he gets the worst crime. And if you want to know what this is like, you know, I guess you could just imagine. But, you know, read the first chapter of like Discipline and Punish by Michel Foucault, the great philosopher. Uh, that's a wonderful book about the prisons. Making a point I was kind of making before is that you know, the, our modern prison system is really, really novel. Um, but how in the old times they would just punish the body. And if the worst thing you could do was commit, you know, treason against the king, uh, regicide or something. So that was the worst pr punishment. In China, the worst punishment was, of course, regicide was also punished this way. But killing your parents was seen equal as that. And you would get death by slicing. So the... So look up what that is if you have a strong stomach. But anyways, that's uh, Jack's fate is kind of set at this point. Uh, then we go to the Tower of London and Isaac Isaac has brought White to the Tower of London to parlay um, on, on things. And basically Isaac's trying to get um, White to confess to changing the picks or be, whatever he's involved. He's still desperately begging for anything to save him from this trial of the picks. Um, and White, just White's in the same position as Jack in a way. It's like he has nothing to lose. So he says, this is White. But you need to establish that the picks was adulterated by someone. So you'll not be held responsible for what is found there. And Jack's testimony perhaps is not deemed reliable enough to prove that behind a doubt. You need my word on it. And Isaac just says, well, you can think what you want. You're going to be stuck in jail for as long as it takes to, to, um, to figure this, to figure this out. Um, but you can really see Isaac is really, really uncertain about this whole thing. He's really emerges compared to Daniel's as, as a relatively weak, um, character in many ways. He's got a decent moment at the end of the book, but I think throughout all of the system world, Isaac Newton just comes off kind of, uh, kind of pathetically often, especially after the raid on the picks and his, his desperation to get anyone to test it to, to secure him in the trial. Um, all right, the next chapter is just a letter, a letter from White to Dapa. Uh, I guess this is White now with nothing to lose, so he challenges Dapa to a duel. So this, uh, um, 
might get him his way out of, of torture and other problems if he dies. And he gets dissatisfaction against Dapa, who has been insulting him publicly for all this time. And he tells Dapa to choose, uh, choose the weapons. The next chapter is uh, Min Street at the Tower of London. And this is a pretty short little chapter um, where White's men are being removed from the, the Mint being replaced finally because White's been arrested so his men are finally being removed from it and we see the preparations going forth for the trial of the Pix itself. Uh, the Pix is being prepared and everything and that's going to take place I think on the 28th of October, the same date as Jack's no, the 29th of October, the same day as Jack's execution uh, so they're set on the same day uh, chap the next chapter um, uh, I want to look at is Another letter, this one is Dapa's reply to White, and he just accepts the duel and says he has selected um, matching weapons. Um, you know, at the beginning of, or way back in Solomon's Gold, when this whole Dapa-White storyline begins, White had this power over Dapa, and now Dapa is a little celebrity. Uh, we see the beginning of an anti-slavery movement uh, pushed forward by Dapa, and Dapa has money, uh, he has friends, and White is isolated and imprisoned and all these things but uh maybe this duel will be a way um out for him and maybe it'll finally end this drama between dop and white it's, as i said before this is my favorite storyline in the book um but i think it's got some good stuff in it um but i think it could have been handled a little bit differently i've already talked about that um next we have the condemned hold on october 21 so this is just a week before uh jack's um execution date so this is where newgate they would take people um before they're being executed right remember way back in king of the vagabonds when jack was a kid jack would and bob would go to the condemned hole to get uh, contracts from people in the condemned hole to so they hang on their legs so they would die quickly um and they did their little play that was a really fun moment um but he's there and a boy comes in with the noose, he's basically took over Jack's job. So what Jack and Bob did, you know, f 45 years ago or whatever, has become like a regular profession in Newgate. And a boy comes to try and to get his, get this contract from Jack. But Jack has no money, so he can't give him any. And then they chit-chat a little bit, and Jack talks about his own past. He talks about his youth. Uh, the boy talks about how Jack is being increasingly loved by the people. He's famous. He's like a Jack Shepard kind of character. If you don't know who Jack Shepard is... I don't think I've talked much about him, but he was a, a famous uh, vagabond and criminal in London around this time who escaped Tyburn, I think it was six or eight times before he was executed. Books were written about him. You know, in many ways, Jack Shepard is a model for Jack Shafto. They have very different lives, but the idea of a public folk hero coming from the vagabond ranks, um, inspiring in some ways the population of England. Um, and Jack sort of become that. And then we see a lot of Jack's regrets. It's another where we get Jack reflecting on his life, particularly his what he could have had with Eliza, right? So the, the defining moment of Jack's life was when Eliza said, don't get on that ship. Stay here with me. You can just live with me and I'll be rich enough and you can live your life um, and I'll protect you and, and take care of you. And Jack's like, no, I have to prove myself to you, Eliza. I need to go and make money. I need to do what you do. And so he goes on the slave ship, and they're, they're severed, right? And they're still not reunited um, from that. They've had their, they've crossed paths uh, in various ways, uh, even if, if that cross, they crossed paths while physically being 
thousands of miles away. And in one case, just across the wall, but uh, Eliza didn't know he was there. So it's, they've sort of got close to connecting, but never quite uh, did. And they, they remain separate from that moment. And that's what, that's one moment that Jack constantly thinks, thinks about um, as he reaches the end of his, and at, and at the end of his life, or what it takes to be in his life. Jack lives! Spoiler alert. Um, the next chapter to talk about is uh, Tower Hill on the, the next day, 22nd of October. And this is the duel between uh, Dapa and Charles White. And this is just, I think this is just uh, Stevenson having fun. Um, the duel itself, it's kind of comical. Because when they get there, or when White gets to the place where the duel is, right outside the Tower of, of, of London, where I guess where, that's where White is staying. Yeah, but that's where the the duel is. So it's kind of off the Tower Wharf a little bit, right right across from the Tower of London. Um, that's where the duel takes place. White gets there, and Dapa's picked the weapons, and White's like, "Where are the pistols?" And Dapa's like, "Oh, don't worry, I've chosen matching weapons, but it's not pistols. They're actually uh, little howitzers, little artillery pieces that um, were created. And since Dapa and Van Hook is Dapa second, and they since they know artillery from the time on the ship, they have a bit of advantage here." And we see White trying to figure out how to use this thing in his second, and they're shooting back and forth. Um, and finally, uh, finally, uh, White is killed in the duel by a, a howitzer blast. So, a fun little moment. But then Van Hook and Dapa uh, withdraw to the ship, and I think their story is done. I, I don't think we meet them again in the story. Maybe briefly. Yeah, there's a little scene of Daniel and Dapa on Minerva later on but that'll be next episode but but you know that more or less finishes up dapa and van hook's storyline for all intents and purposes and dapa's become a famous anti-slavery act advocate with some money returned to his ship freed from the clutches of of charles white and all that um so the next chapter is uh back in newgate uh this is the 23rd of october and Jack's been moved to the good quarters in Newgate. This was something talked about in an earlier chapter, how there was the, you know, the regular condemned hole, which was a dungeon. But if you had money and you could bribe the guards, they would put you in the castle, which would be nice quarters. You'd, you know, you'd be still ch chained to the wall or whatever. But you would have a chance to, um, you know, just live a nicer life if you had the money, right? But who paid for it, right? That's what Jack begins to wonder. And the question is, really, it's probably Eliza. Eliza's probably the one who's put forth this money to pay. It's the one person who knows that's rich enough to do this. Could have been Caroline, maybe. But no, it's probably Eliza, right? And so that's what he thinks about. Quote, instead, he divided his time between thinking about Eliza and cursing himself for being so fatuous as to think of her. On the other hand, he had to admit that there was no great harm in it. It, was no long, it, it could no longer lead him astray, as it had done in years past. He was now as astray as was possible for anyone to be in the world. He was at Pole. Van Hook had explained to him once that if you went to the South Pole, then East and West and South would cease to exist, and any direction you went would be North. Thus, Jack's current status in the world. End quote. Like facing, facing Typer and Cross. Um, so uh, then we have uh, the same day, uh, October 23rd, at Clerkenwell Court, Isaac is beginning his raid on the the secondary mint, white secondary mint, trying to find the Solomonic gold, trying to find the picks, all that kind of stuff. Because he's lost his, 
he needed White. He needed White to confess something about the picks, and he didn't. So he started searching. Remember, Jack told him before that there, you know, Daniel has this it somewhere hidden away. And so Isaac's really pissed off at Daniel because he thinks he's holding out on him with uh, the true contents of the picks. And they're they're raiding these locations that they're suspected the secondary mint is producing the the fake coinage from the Solomonic gold. But they doesn't find anything right away. Um, and then we get a little scene with Daniel and Eliza where they parlay on on the the engine for raising water by fire, the Newcomen steam engine, and the logic mill, and on Jack. They also reflect on Jack, and we see Eliza still being pretty, at least on the surface, pretty hostile about about Jack, saying he 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 messed up, and she doesn't seem to be showing too much remorse about his upcoming death. Um, in fact, she seems more interested in the, the fate of the currency. Like, if Jack dies and the Picts trial fails, you know, is that going to destroy British currency? Is that going to be a, a serious threat to my interests, right? Now, you, you suspect on some level, if, if Eliza is giving money to help Jack in the good quarters, if she's the one who sends him the, the clothes with all the buttons, this is in the next uh, episode, we'll talk about this, but before he's executed, he's given this nice clothes with gold coins and gold buttons, right? Which is used to bribe Jack Ketch, if that was Eliza's doing too. Um, it shows she's thinking about him, but not necessarily thinking about trying to save his life or doing, stepping too much out of bounds to, to help him out. Um, next we have uh, the chapel uh, with Jack Shafto. Um, this is the next day, October 24th. And, and remember how Dejex told him to kind of seek out faith. So he does go to the chapel. Um, in Newgate and he reflects on religion and his life and, and this is like one of his first Anglican services he ever goes to um, and he just ponders again kind of what could have been in his life now at this uh, in this chapel he sees a veiled woman and a, and a blonde man so this is Johan and Eliza I, I suppose I'm not sure um, I think it is Car it couldn't be Caroline it must be it must be Eliza and and Johan based on the description, but he doesn't know it. So it's another kind of close connection between the two. But we see Eliza showing some concern for Jack, perhaps. Um, and then finally, uh, a big, big important chapter here, um, set October 25th, 1714. It's Daniel, Saturn, and her Ham, which is actually the son of the Ham from, from Quicksilver. Remember the Ham, the family of Ham connected to the, the Waterhouses, who there was a run in the bank and they, they lost all their money because because the king forfeited the debts or whatever. So he's there too. And they basically work together to smuggle out all the Solomonic gold. So Isaac can't find it. And they ship it off to, to Leibniz um, in Hanover. Um, and this is what our final kind of, well, at least for as far as Daniel's concerned, our final little encounter with the Solomonic gold. All of this care and bother that the Solomonic Gold had occasioned during its eventful passage from the Solomon Islands to the palace of the Viceroy of Mexico, to its theft before Bonanza, to Cairo and Malabar, and its many travels on or in the hall of the Minerva, it felt like strange. It felt very strange to turn to look back on it and walk away, leaving it stacked out in the open on a wharf. But now, disguised as salt cod and placed in the care of a reputable shipping agent, it was probably safer than it had ever been, and it's going to. Uh, you know, end up being used for cards for the logic mill or something like that. 
So that's uh, it. I kind of rushed through this. Um, but I do think these are some of the best Daniel moments. The escape uh, of the help, the, the, the jailbreak in Fleet Prison and the under, Dan, I, under Isaac's nose stealing the Solomonic gold away from him uh, and always being one step ahead of him as, Dan, as Isaac. Sorry, I keep confusing them. Um, but as Isaac is searching for the picks in the Solomonic gold throughout, throughout London, Daniel's just snuck it away under his nose. Um, so uh, that's all I'm going to talk about uh, for this section of the book. Uh, in the final episode of, of my read-through, I'll have one more episode where I give my overall thoughts of the series. Um, we'll, we'll see the basically the trial of the picks and, and Jack's uh, execution. Um, so most of that last part of the book is set on October 29th, 1714. Um, then we have a few epilogues where we catch up with a few characters. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about that in the very next episode. So anyways, uh, we're coming to the end. Uh, thanks for bearing with me through this very, very long series. Um, I will we'll see you next time with my uh, conclusion of The System of the World. Thanks for listening.